Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. We are in our service, we are in our series on Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. You can go ahead and turn in your Bible there. We are in Paul's third missionary journey. Um, This is uh, his last missionary journey before he's going to be arrested and then put on trial and eventually taken to Rome, which God uses essentially as a missionary journey in and of itself. But this is his last uh, free missionary journey, you might say. Um... Let's do a little recap as to where we've been. So a couple weeks ago, um, or for the last few weeks, we've been in Ephesus. Uh, Paul has been setting up the church there, has been preaching to the people, um, has been making some people very angry. We talked about the riot last week, and now he's finished his time in in Ephesus, and he is going to head back to some of the churches that he actually started on his second missionary journey, and to visit them, and to encourage them, and to see how things are going. And that brings us to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, when he gets to the town of Troas. Troas is a city he visited in Acts chapter 16. And we don't really know what happened in Troas, but apparently he planted a church, or apparently he started a church, because when he comes back in this passage, he's going to visit this community of believers that has formed here in Troas, and it's going to be quite the eventful church service. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Acts 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Even little stories like this, which are a little hard to understand what exactly it is you're trying to teach us from it. But Lord, we know that you um, don't include any parts of scripture without reason. Lord, that this morning as we study it, your gospel would be more clear to us and our trust in you would grow and deepen. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so you may have seen, I'm sure you, many of you have seen the old Disney film Pinocchio um, about the carpenter Geppetto and his puppet that comes to life and has the nose that grows and all that kind of stuff. Um, Apparently there's also an Italian version of this film um, that was remade with live action in 
2008 with Bob Hoskins as Geppetto. Um, I've never seen this movie, and I watched a clip of it, and I probably will never watch the rest of it. Um, but it had this great quote that I found, or this great moment in this, in this scene uh, of, of Pinocchio coming to life that I wanted to bring up this morning because I think it illustrates a little bit the question we often ask, a, a question we often ask ourselves. So Geppetto, he creates this puppet. He wants a child. He doesn't have a child. He, he uh, you know, makes this little boy marionette puppet. And in the middle of the night, the fairy godmother comes to Pinocchio and brings him to life. Oh, it's amazing, this miracle. He's alive. The next morning in this film, uh, this Italian version, uh, Geppetto is, is sitting there, and all of a sudden this boy comes up to him, who he all of a sudden realizes it's Pinocchio, and he's alive. And he says, you're alive. And Pinocchio responds, I'm alive. And uh, then he says, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm alive? What do you mean? What does that mean? Well, uh, it means you have a life to live, is what Geppetto says. Well, what is life for? Pinocchio responds. Geppetto's like, huh, I really thought about that before. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that I'm alive? Says Pinocchio. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing you're alive. It's a wonderful thing. But what do you have it for? Um, I don't really know. I'll have to think about that a little bit. What is life for? What does it really mean to live? What does it mean to be alive? I mean, it's got to be more than just breathing. I mean, obviously, technically, you're alive. Your heart's beating. You're breathing in and out. That means you're alive. But that's not really living, right? What does it really mean to live? So um, I decided to go to an expert to ask this question. What does it mean to live? So I went to Google and I said, what does it mean to live? And it came up with one of those Quora pages. Have you ever seen these where people like ask questions and then random people from the internet jump in and try to answer this question you have, which is a terrible way to have your questions answered. But anyway, some of the, uh, some of the, the responses uh, were, were, were the following. They said, uh, to, what does it mean to live? To live means to wake up early and see the sunrise. To live means to learn as much as you can, as often as you can. To learn means to giggle for no reason. To live means to spend time with family and friends. To live means to have a meaningful purpose. It didn't say what that purpose was, but to have one. That's what it means to live. To travel, to self-reflect, to be free. This is what it means to live according to the nameless people on the internet. I mean, a lot of these things are beautiful. I don't want to say that these things are bad. But I'm pretty sure that none of these are the full answer. None of these are going to actually answer that question of what does it mean to live. Perhaps the time we ask this question the most, what does it mean to live? The time we ask this question the most is when we wonder if we have anything to live for. Right? Maybe some of us have experienced the days when the anxiety or the depression, they come creeping in. And we know we're breathing. We know we're aware of our life we don't really feel alive. What does it really mean to live? 
This passage this morning is a little strange. Um, it's not very clear exactly um, all the things that we're supposed to gain from reading this passage. It's kind of short. It's this crazy miracle that happens. Um, but why is this included in Scripture? Um, but as I studied it, what I found was this recurring theme of life. The theme throughout this entire passage is life over and over again. You obviously see this in the miracle that happens. Eutychus dies. It's raised back to life. But you also see it even in just the gathering of the people here, this early church gathering. This is actually one of the very first um, historical descriptions we have of what we're doing right now. It's a picture of the early church gathering together. They come together to break bread. They come together to hear preaching of the word. It's what we're doing here this morning. See the community of God's people in action. And as we look at this, what we see is that central to the life of the church then and what should be central to the life of the church now is life. That's because God has given us the gift of the church, has given us the gift of the gathering of God's people, the gift of the worship of God's people. It's designed by God to give us a taste and a picture of what it means to truly live. To truly live. The church is a picture of what it means to truly live. That's because truly living, these are our two points this morning, God tells us that truly living is one, a life centered on Christ, And two, is a life in community with God's people. Truly living is a life centered on Christ. I imagine if you were to take a poll of our children's ministry right now, if you were to go up there and ask each kid individually, what does it mean or what is the most important thing that Jesus ever did? What is the most important thing that Jesus ever did? I guarantee um, a large majority of them would say he died on the cross for our sins. Right? That's probably how most of you would answer, right? What, did you, what is the most important thing Jesus ever did? He died on the cross for our sins. That's great. That's definitely 100% true. However, the early church would have never stopped there. If you were to the same poll of the early church, and you say, what is the most important thing Jesus ever did? They would say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And then he rose again, and he's not dead anymore. The resurrection would never be separated from the death of Christ. The resurrection was so important to them. In fact, every time uh, throughout the scriptures you see Paul's preaching, Paul's preaching on the resurrection. He's talking about how there's a man who is dead and now he is alive again. He is clearly our savior because he is risen. You see this early in this passage that you may not have even noticed that this church is built on the resurrection. This early church in Troas is built on the resurrection, you see in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Maybe you didn't even notice it as I read it that time. The first day of the week. This is a change. This is a change in the history of when the church meets. This is the first recorded instance we have in the whole Bible and all of history of the church meeting not on the Sabbath, the last day of the week, but meeting now on the first day of the week. You see, post-Jesus, the church begins to worship on a different day. And that is to celebrate what? 
the day Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection. The resurrection has, is completely for, informing everything, even from the pattern of their week. Instead of the last day, now it is the first day of the week. The resurrection is incredibly important to this community. Also, it's important in the preaching. As I've already mentioned, Paul, in all of his sermons before this point, his main point is almost always the resurrection. So we can pretty much assume, even though we don't have his words of his extra long sermon here, if he's preaching a five-hour sermon, which I won't do today, if he's preaching a five-hour sermon, you imagine that the resurrection has to be key to it because it's been key to every other sermon he's preached so far in the book of Acts. It is the central point of the gospel to Paul. In fact, Paul writes about it more in his letter to the Corinthians. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and so, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of people, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is immensely important. It is without it, there is no gospel. There is no good news. If Christ has not been raised, he says, you are still in your sins. Being in your sins is what the Bible calls death. Death. Because in the Bible, death isn't just um, not breathing anymore. Death is being separated ultimately from God. And so if you are still in your sins, what does that mean for you? If your sins have not been defeated, if they have not been destroyed, that means that you are still separate from God, you have no hope, and you are on a trajectory that is going to lead to ultimate, permanent separation from God, and therefore separation from all good things. Right? But if Christ has been raised from the dead, then there is hope. There is hope for truly living. There is hope for life. And what is life in the Bible? Well, if death is separation from God, then life is being in unity with God, is being in relationship with God, is being in a relationship that can never be broken. It's living like they did in the garden when Adam and Eve would walk with God and they were close to him. They could feel his presence nearby. They could see him. They could talk to him. They could hear from him. They could worship him. A renewed, reconciled relationship to God. Being in his presence. That's why the church is a picture of truly living. Because when we come together, as we're doing right now in this very moment, God is present with us. We are in the presence of God right now, the God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who died and rose again. He is here with us. And as a community, we get to participate in worship of him. We get to to focus our eyes on him. We get to hear from his word. We get to be in relationship with him.
And he promises that he's going to meet us here. He's going to meet us, bring his presence, enter in to our lives. Jesus himself says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. We're living out a picture of resurrection life, this renewed relationship between God and his people. Eutychus, Eutychus in his death and resurrection, I kind of imagine it as like the perfect sermon illustration. Um, you know, Paul is probably there. He's hammering the resurrection. He's talking about how beautiful the resurrection is. And just on cue, Eutychus falls out the window, right? Um, so Eutychus is an interesting guy. I, I think we need to, a lot of times when people talk about Eutychus, they're like, man, this guy's so lazy. He just falls asleep during church. You know, this sermon, you guys thought, when I read this passage, I was going to preach to you about like, you know, why you shouldn't fall asleep during sermons. But that's actually not what this passage is about. Eutychus is a young man. He's probably been working all day long. I mean, Sunday now is kind of a day off traditionally for people. Um, that came much later um, during Roman times. But at this time, Sunday would have been a work day. So Sunday, he would have been working all day long. But what this shows is actually a deep desire to be in the this community, the deep desire to be at the church, the deep desire to, to feel the life that comes from being a part of the body of Christ, to experience God's presence. He wants to go, so he goes to church after his long day of work. He's sitting there, and he's trying so hard, and he makes it all the way till midnight. He's working so hard, he wants to stay awake. He wants to be a part of this, but he's unable to. He's weak. Falls asleep. The lamps are burning. The oxygen's low. It's getting late. Falls asleep, falls out the window, he dies. But he's not dead for good. Christ brings him back to life. God gives him life where he was once dead. He's weak in his flesh, but God gives him life. This is an illustration of what Paul was probably preaching. It's an illustration that the community is about life. Life is what comes from here is what should come from the church community. It's what comes from God's presence with us. There's life. Truly living doesn't also only mean, although it's founded upon the idea of us having presence with God, it also, a big part of, communi- a big part of life, is being in community with other people. It's interesting to note what the people do after this crazy uh, death and resurrection. They've been listening to Paul go on for hours. So it says that they go down, they see Eutychus come back to life. And then, verse 11, it says, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. It's talking about Paul and the people. They all go back upstairs and they keep going until daylight. They pull an all-nighter for church, Um, which is pretty great, uh, I guess. Um, It says they, uh, they talked. They talked. It doesn't say it uses the same verb here as it did before. Before, it sounded like Paul was preaching. The verb it uses was like Paul spoke to the people. So he's preaching about Christ. But now it says they go upstairs, they break bread together, and they talk. They fellowship together. All the way until morning time, until the daylight comes, they have community with one another. Our church... 
church life, the life that the church represents, is represented by the way we do community. We are made to be in real community with one another. Paul talks about community and what the community of the church should look like throughout his letters. Um, we're not going to be able to go through everything, but this morning I want to look at Galatians 6, 1 to 2. Talk about two elements of community that I think are very important to Paul, very important to Jesus, and very important for us. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone, who is, caught, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Two very important elements of community life involve here accountability and bearing one, another, one another's burdens. Accountability. What is accountability? Accountability is being in relationship where you want other people to call you out when you're wrong. You want people who know you and love you enough that they are going to confront you when you are wrong. We all need accountability. Every single person needs accountability, including me, including your pastors, including your elders, including your staff. Everyone needs accountability. We all need accountability because we're all sinners. Even if we're in Christ, we still live in the flesh. And our flesh longs to pull us towards things that will hurt us in the long run. Things that will drive us towards um, slavery to our sin. Things that will um, hurt our relationship with the Lord. Things that are idolatry like we talked about last week. Things that are harmful. Things that we're asking to give us something good that cannot actually give it to us. And accountability in the church and in the community of God's people is having people who when they see you running away from the Lord or walking away from the Lord or wandering away from the Lord, they're people who will come alongside of you and say, hey, you're hurting yourself. I love you too much to see that happen. I want to invite you and welcome you back to where you're going to find true joy. And that is in the presence of Jesus, not in this other thing. It's an act of love. Accountability is a way that we love one another. It's important for us to have relationships with people. It doesn't mean everybody here is going to know all your stuff. But have relationships with people who know you, who know your sin, but also know the gospel deeply. People who know, hey, I am really messed up. I know I'm a sinner. And I know what it means to, to run away from the Lord, and I know how harmful that it is to, to me. But I also love you enough, and I know Jesus enough, and I know his grace enough to call you back to him. The word church discipline is often um, used um, in, it, in this context, but sometimes when we hear the word church discipline, we hear something different. We hear judgment, the hammer of your excommunication coming down, boom, you're out, right? That's, maybe you've seen it used that way in other churches you've been in, or maybe um, that's just your impression from culture or films or whatever of excommunication, church discipline. We do church discipline in this church, 
But what we're talking about is accountability. We're talking about we want to be people who one another are submitted to one another. So much so that we want people to call us out when we're wrong. We want people to invite us back to Jesus when we're running from him. We want people to speak the gospel to us. We want people to be the presence of God to us. Accountability is important. and We need to look for it. We need to find it. We also should bear one another's burdens. That's what it says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does bearing one another's burdens mean? It means grieving with one another. It means when one person is hurting, we as a body hurt with them. It means when someone is struggling, we struggle with them. It means when someone is weeping, we weep with them. It also means when someone's rejoicing, we rejoice with them. We are not meant to do things alone. I've seen our church do this really well at different times. Um, recently, we, have, we actually currently have um, a lady in our church who is really struggling with her health, like very deeply struggling with her health, has gotten bad news upon bad news upon bad news from doctors. Uh, it does not look good. And um, I had been in communicating with her as her pastor and uh, trying to kind of do some of this as her pastor, to be with her, to, to pray with her, to listen to her, to, uh, to weep with her. Um, but it had been a few days and I had just gotten really busy. And to be honest, I can't. I just do not have the capacity to be everything for everyone, which is, I shouldn't have that capacity, so that's good. Um, but I was like, it had been like four or five days, and I'm like, ah, shoot, I haven't talked to her in a while. I need to check on her. And so I text her and I say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And she says, well, I'm struggling, but I'm okay. This person came to visit me on Monday. This person came to visit me on Tuesday. This person came to visit me on Wednesday. This person came to visit me on Thursday. What she was saying was her home group, the people in her home group, the people from her church community, some of you, I know who you are, had come every single day to be with her. It's beautiful. That's how the church should work. It shouldn't just be like the pastors or the staff doing things, but our bodies should be concerned for one another. We should be bearing one another's burdens. We should know what's happening in the lives of each other. We should be people who are willing to bring other people in to our hurt as well. We're not called to be people who put on our boots and pull up our bootstraps and say, yeah, I'm just going to handle this myself. We say we need the community around us to help us, to be with us in this. There's a couple practical ways I would encourage you guys, us, to be involved more in bearing each other's burdens and in accountability. We have actually groups that are set up for this. Um, they're not perfect, not claiming they are. But we have groups that are intended to do this, like home groups, like Bible studies. We have men's Bible studies that should be starting the next few months. We have new women's Bible studies starting very soon. We have home groups that we can always plug you into. Uh, We do special things like restoration groups as well. We would love to plug you into a community where you can experience this, where you can experience accountability where you can experience bearing one another's burdens but for you to actually get benefit out of these you can go to them you can attend every week and get none of this out of it even if you're in a home group right now maybe you're like okay yeah i'm in a home group but i don't have accountability i don't have 
community. I don't have people bearing my burdens. Here's my invitation to you. It's not perfect. I, you know, we're broken people. Nothing's going to be perfect this side of eternity. But I can't encourage you to say, hey, you take the first step. You take the first step. You bring yourself into that group. You bring your mess. You bring your sin. You bring your hardship. Be open. Be open with who you are and what you're struggling with. Invite people in. And as you do that, it will invite other people to bring themselves in. It's scary. Sometimes I think when we, if we really share ourselves, we're scared that we'll either, we'll either do one of two things. One, we'll either scare people away because they're like, they're going to think, oh wow, you're so that bad. When really you'll find out that actually everyone is that bad. Um, or two, you're thinking, I'm just going to be a burden to people. And you know what? Be a burden to people. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. That's what we're meant to do as the body of Christ. If you can't do it here, where can you do it? This is, this idea of accountability and bearing one another's burdens is uh, one of the essential themes of what called me to be a ministry. What called me to be a pastor, what called me to do this for a living. And that's because, some of you may have heard this part of my story before, but that's because I experienced this very deeply at a time in my life. A time when I was working at a Christian summer camp, actually with Andrew Lupton, um, 13 years ago, something like that, longer, 15 years ago. Working at a summer camp, one of the first nights I'm there, I'd grown up in a Christian family, I had never known that the church could be a place where you could be open about your sin and your struggle. And I walk into a room, and while I'm in the room, Andrew Lupton brings all the guys in there. He says, hey, here is my sin. This is what I struggle with. This is what I am dealing with. This is what I am repenting of on a daily basis. Now you guys share yours. He invited us. He started with his own sin, and then he invited us all to be open, to share. Oh, I really struggle with this. I really struggle with that. I really struggle with this. And it's funny, as we shared Instead of us wanting to push each other away, we got closer. Me and this group of guys knew each other very deeply. We started to pray for one another. We started to, 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 to lament with one another when we struggled. We started to rejoice when there was victory. We got to carry each other's burdens throughout the summer. We worked, we worked it's hard work, you know, we're doing, it's fun, but it's exhausting you're doing ministry to, it's a Christian camp, you're doing ministry to these young people, but you're struggling throughout the summer with exhaustion and then your own sin obviously shows up from time to time or all the time. And we're, we're, we're with each other. We have this community. And not only that, not only are we, are we, do we have accountability with one another, not only do we have um, bearing each other's burdens together, we also have worship. Our lives are focused on Jesus, every Sunday night, I've never enjoyed worship more than I enjoyed those Sunday nights when we're exhausted, we're about to go into another week of long days, but we just sang, just sang for an hour or two hours, over and over again, it was so beautiful just remembering, you know what, God's presence is with us, 
We're here with the Lord. We're united to him. We are in relationship with him. We are living. And I've never felt, I had never felt more alive than I did that summer. So that's why I went into ministry. Because what do I want? What do I long for as your pastor? I long for this community to be like that. It doesn't mean you'll know every single person, but for us to have people in this community that we are worshiping alongside of, that we are experiencing God's presence alongside of, that we are breaking bread together with, that also know us deeply, are bearing our burdens, have accountability with one another, and mainly are pointing each other to Jesus. That's what I want this community to be. I want it to be a body that's concerned for one another. So I encourage you to do so, to to involve yourselves in it, to see yourself as part of it. That's what life is all about. If you really truly live, you'll live in relationship with Jesus, and you'll live in community with God's people. It won't be perfect, the son of eternity. Is that outside? (laughs) It won't be perfect, this side of eternity, but we long for one day the day when Jesus comes back and he makes it permanent. He makes it real and fully, fully fleshed out, fully uh, felt. And we will fully feel his presence with us. And we'll fully be in community, untarnished, unbroken community with one another. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would give us true life. You would help us to experience what it truly means to be in relationship with you in relationship with one another. Um, I pray, Lord, that, that we would just know how to be um, your children, that we would just trust you, that we would experience um, your presence with us, but also that we would be, bring that into community with one another, that we would struggle together that we would be honest with one another, that we would love each other well, that we would bear each other's burdens. Lord, help this little community here in Bogota to be a picture of the eternal kingdom that we will experience one day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.